type eights are bold, they're independent, they're honest, they're likely the person who has continually pushed you to be more thoughtful, egalitarian, and driven in your own life. They really are pushers of us into being better, being more, getting through discomfort and doing it anyway. Welcome to the For the Love podcast with me, Jen Hatmaker. Today, we explore all things Enneagram 8 with two experts, Enneagram and Coffee's Sarah Jane Case and Conscious Enneagram's Abby Robbins. Hey everybody, Jen Hatmaker here. Hi, welcome to the For the Love podcast. Super glad you're here today. You probably know that we are in a series right now called For the Love of the Enneagram, and it is awesome. I mean, it's just awesome. If you've missed any of it, I highly encourage you to go back and pick it up, even if it's not your number, even if it's not, because we are all connected to people that we love that are every number on the Enneagram. Every single episode has been so enlightening for me. I've learned so much. It's helped me understand my friends better, my husband better, my kids, myself. Like, just go back and listen. Definitely start with episode one with Suzanne Stabile. She kind of high levels the whole Enneagram deal for us. Anyhow, for this episode, finally... I'm so pleased to tell you that once again, we have not one, but two guests who are going to help us unpack all the complex goodness inside of those wonderful Enneagram 8s, also sometimes known as the challengers. Oh, Enneagram 8s. Oh, I love them. They are such a force in the world. So I'm just telling you, if you're lucky enough to have an 8 in your life, congratulations. You must feel really secure and really safe because that's how the eights make me feel for sure. I love how they show up in the world. So to begin, Sarah Jane Case is an author and a speaker and a podcaster, and she's based out of Asheville, North Carolina. You might know her by her online moniker, Enneagram and Coffee right? Have you seen this? So she teaches self-support through the lens of the Enneagram and her writing has been featured everywhere from like apartment therapy to parade magazine. Sarah Jane does some of her best work on Instagram at Enneagram and Coffee. That's her handle. Plus she's put out a book called The Honest Enneagram and a podcast called Enneagram and Coffee. So she's hustling some fantastic work out into the Enneagram world. Sarah Jane happens to be an Enneagram 7 who's going to help us unpack some of the nitty-gritty traits of one of her wing options, which is an 8. And then, after Sarah Jane, to tell you specifically about the lived experience of an 8, we have a stellar Enneagram teacher named Abby Robbins, who you might know under the moniker of the Conscious Enneagram. So Abby is another trained Enneagram teacher. We've had so many incredible teachers in this series who is certified in the narrative Enneagram, which we're going to talk about because that's not something we've really parsed out thus far in the series. Abby is also a yoga therapist whose teaching combines the very transformative insight of the Enneagram with the holistic and like embodied practices of yoga therapy, which is really important. The sort of body intersection here matters. Abby seeks to share these two very powerful systems to help people better understand themselves and those around them and live just more fulfilling and meaningful lives, which is exactly what the Enneagram has offered me. Both of these conversations are just fire So I'm so pleased to share my conversations with these incredible teachers. First with Sarah Jane Case of Enneagram and Coffee up first. Sarah Jane, I have watched you and listened to you, and now I am so delighted to have you on the For the Love podcast. Thank you for being here. Yeah, I'm so thrilled to be here. Thank you for having me. A hundred percent. So before we move into the Enneagram 8s, which is what this episode is about, can you just talk to us briefly about what what is your type? Yeah, so I'm a seven-wing eight, and I'm a counter type, so I'm a social seven, which means that in behavior, I can look a lot like a two or a one, but in motivation, I'm definitely a hundred percent internally a seven. So I essentially know that being my unabashed seven self isn't the most 
it won't keep me in good social standing all the time. And so I've learned to really put myself last, over sacrifice, and live in moderation as a way to be more socially acceptable. Mm, that's so interesting. Is your eight wing pretty strong? Yeah, it's pretty hefty. You can speak quite saliently to the eight, not only as an expert, but as somebody with a strong eight wing. So let's get into that. So we've got the Enneagram eights to discuss today, which in its moniker is sometimes known as the challenger. Can we dig in here a little bit more? Because there's always more than meets the eye. You know, there's always sort of a reduced truncated description of every number, which just never tells the full story at all. Mm -hmm. So can you talk a little bit more broadly about some of the main traits of an Enneagram 8, what they love, what they don't love, what motivates them, what they're afraid of, what they're excited about, etc. So type 8s are strong, charismatic leaders. In childhood, they say that a lot of eights often experience some form of betrayal. So something that settled the idea into them that they would need to take care of themselves. And because of this, they learn to lean on their strength and hide their vulnerabilities to prevent being open and susceptible to further betrayal like down the road or in the future. So a lot of times you might hear a type eight say like, I don't want that to be used against me. That could be a phrase. Yes. And this can lead our eights to kind of developing a, a defensive stance. And this can happen both in defense of themselves, but also in defense of those in need. So you also might yeah. see that happening on behalf of someone else. If they see someone who they see is vulnerable, that same strength gets kind of wrapped around the people in their life. In general, type eights are bold, they're independent, they're honest. They're likely the person who has continually pushed you to be more thoughtful, egalitarian, mm. and driven in your own life. Like they really are pushers of us into mm. being better, being more, getting through discomfort and doing it anyway. Mm. It's so true. I think about Jo Saxton, one of my very favorite aides. She's a coach. She yeah. just sits in the pocket of her own strengths, which is pushing others to their highest ideals. Sometimes aides have a reputation that they don't really need people and that connection is not important to them. But my aides tell me that that's not true. It's just so happens that sometimes one of their basic fears, either being you know betrayed or controlled, shows up like that inside perception of connection. So could you talk about that a little bit more? What an eight actually wants internally in terms of relationship and connection and closeness, and then sometimes what that looks like on the outside? You know, I think about our type eights as almost like a two, a really warm, gooey, mushy two, wrapped in steel, like wrapped mm, in a coat of armor. Right. And it's what a like good description. This, yeah. And they have like this soft open center and they're aware. It's like they're hyper aware of like, this is gooey in here. Mm -hmm. And I really can't let anyone find out because if I let mm. them find out, then they're going to use that against me or it's not safe. And I think that I can, we can hold empathy for that, right? Because at some point in their life, they received the message that that's true, that they aren't safe. And, and so when I think about our eights, instead of assuming they don't want love, I have to assume that they learned, I have to ask the question, where did you learn to be so strong? Like mm -hmm. what in your life caused you to have to power up instead of receive? If we could take that one step further, I'd like to talk about how an eight feels about their feelings. What's the monologue inside an eight's mind as they observe and sort of evaluate their own feelings? Because like for a, as a three, when I think about how do I feel about my feelings, I definitely feel them. That's the first way that I experience any given moment, of course, is right through my emotions. But I pretty quickly move it up to my brain. Like, mm -hmm. okay, that's enough. What do I think about this and how am I going to solve it or get past it or whatever? So how do eights feel about their feelings and then what do they do with them? There's a demand for honesty and upfrontness from our eights. And so in some ways, there's almost a clean break between sharing their feelings if it's from like that intellectual place, right? Like if I can say like, oh, I had this feeling, this feeling existed, but there's no invitation into that feeling with them. And so I think that that's one difference. It's almost like a separation. Like I can share, but there's a sharing from a place of distance. Mm -hmm. And if they feel like I'm pulling at them or pulling at their emotions, then they, a wall will go up mm -hmm. faster. And the other thing that can happen is that their anger might be the feeling they feel first. 
when a negative emotion arises, it might start as anger. And a lot of the work is really getting under the anger and saying, okay, I'm angry, but what's really here? What's the more vulnerable message? You know, am I feeling anxious about something? Because typically there's something under that anger feeling, but they have to really dive into it and, and get real with themselves and with others about what that is. That's really useful to hear for people in a relationship with an eight. Just understanding that sometimes the first presentation of any feeling, any given feeling, looks mad. And to have the patience and the fortitude to stay with that and then dig a little is such a useful tool. So speaking of relationships with eights, what is your perception of how eights are in romantic relationships, kind of an intimate relationships, how, what is their work like in order to get to a place where they trust? I mean, they trust mm-hmm. someone else to, to be loyal to them and to not betray them and to not control them and to love them as they are. So a lot of times AIDS really fear loss of control of their life, not necessarily control of other people, but more so their control of their own choices. And so a lot of the work is in releasing you know, creating a collaborative space where you're deciding together that can that can take some practice and some work. The other thing that our eights, I think, really need to focus on is, again, am I choosing strength over vulnerability in this moment mm-hmm. to maintain a committed relationship, right? We have to choose vulnerability. And it's a lot more, there's, it's a quicker pathway for our eights to choose strength than to pause, slow down and choose vulnerability. It's just a faster Mm. access point. I relate to that so much. Mm -hmm. I have to really tuck myself into staying in a vulnerable space. Obviously, one of the greatest things about an eight is how much wonderful work that they do in the world. How many eights are at the helm of advocacy Mm -hmm. work and justice work. And they're such strong and capable leaders. They're not easily intimidated by opposition. In fact, that's kind of highly engaging, in fact. Mm. So what would you say, what are healthy eights offering when they are kind of in their highest ideals, when they are Mm -hmm. offering their best selves to the world? What does that look like? Yeah, that protection, that bubble of protection, that bubble of strength, it gets opened up to hold more people. So For most dates, they have themselves, they have maybe their significant other, maybe their mom or their dad or, you know, close family members and friends. That expansiveness, that opening of that space, inviting other people into it is is this beautiful opening that our eights can do where they provide protection and strength and, and all of this like emotional labor on behalf of people in need. And they work sometimes the hardest on behalf of those in need. The eights who have really integrated, they have learned this incredible balance of pulling in their strength and using it as an asset, while at the same time honing in on their vulnerability to invite connection. So they can do this on a mass level, right? If they're advocating for something instead of kind of what they're low-level behavior might be, which is to just be like, you're wrong. I don't want to hear anything you have to say. They might be really be able to pull in some of that power they have in vulnerability to listen and connect while also pushing people past their comfort zone into doing the hard work. Yes, it's so fantastic. I have several eights, very healthy integrated eights in my life, and that is exactly Mm -hmm. how I experience them. And even though eights sometimes get this, I think, unfair reputation of being challenging to be in relationship with, that -hmm. has not been my personal experience with most of the eights in my life. There is such an ability to be in like deep, meaningful connection that's sincere without Mm -hmm. sacrificing any of their power or their strength in the world. So let me ask you this, and then we'll kind of wrap it up. If we have an eight in our lives, if we're married to one, or maybe we are parenting an eight or a really close worker or a best friend is an eight, what is the best way that we can show up for them and love them well? Like what communicates to them? I see you. I am for you. Like you can trust me. 
eights are so used to being the strong ones that in loving the eights in our lives, we have to show them that we can stand our ground. Uh, They have to know that in order for them to rest, they need to see our strength. So a lot of times we find our eights in relationship to people who maybe aren't as comfortable expressing their strength and standing their ground. And that means that the eight never gets to let go and be the one who's quote unquote weak in the moment, right? They don't, where do they get to lay their head? Because our eights tend to kind of carry the burden for all of us. And so to love an eight, you have to power up sometimes and just show them. I'm not going to back down. You're allowed to break down here and it won't break me down. Wow, that's so good. It's so great that you say that because that is not at all the way that some of the other types would feel loved. It's just so useful, not only to understand our own selves, but the people that we love. Such an incredible relational tool. Because for the people who would find powering up to feel like conflict, maybe, or aggression to an eight, they're like, oh, finally. (laughs) Oh, thank you. I can like sit on the couch because you're okay. That is just such a great tip. Okay. These are three quick questions that we're asking all of our Enneagram experts in this series. And so you just pop off here. Obviously, being a seven, eight is wonderful. We wouldn't change you and nor would you change you. But if you could choose to be any other Enneagram number, even for a day, which number would you choose? Why? I secretly wish I was a five. I try to pretend like I'm a five all the time because (laughs) they do the thing. Like I'm very good at picking up lots of information in lots of different topics. And they're really good at committing and going really deep into one topic. And that's something that takes a significant amount of effort for me. Committing to one thing, it takes a lot of effort. And I just like the idea of being like, I'm just like, like to read my books and I, I'm so independent and don't need entertainment all the time. And I like know how to manage my energy and set good boundaries. And that's like an idealized version of who I am that oh. I really like to just lean that's into. so nice. Our fives are going to love hearing that. Fives are not very well understood in general. That's my experience. I think they're going to love to hear that wonderful view of one of their greatest strengths, which is so true. Okay. If we kind of swapped that a little bit, which part of your personality and type do you love the most about yourself? Mm, I think I'm very resilient. Life can hand me anything and I keep going and I keep going with belief that it will always get better. Here is the last question that we actually ask every single guest in every single series, this question. It's from Barbara Brown Taylor, who's just a fan favorite around here. And you can answer this literally however you want. Big, small, important, not important. What's saving your life right now? Plants. I'm going to say plants. Oh, tell us more. Well, okay. So right now, right, we're all staying at home. Most of us are. And I am a seven and I I have traditionally in my life been the kind of person who woke up in the morning, left for the day and came home right before dinner, right when it was time to go to bed, like all day out. And so being home all day, I have had to have something to tinker with. And so I have filled my home with plants. I started a garden and it just gives me a place to kind of put all of that excess energy that could go into things that would be much more stressful. Yeah. So plants, I think they're keeping me sane. Ah, I love that. Okay. Sarah Jane, really quickly before we get off, will you just tell my listeners where they can find you, where you're at on the internet and what you're working on? What can we look forward to next from you? Uh, You can find me at Enneagram and Coffee on Instagram and on the podcast. If you want to kind of stay in touch with more of my life, I have Sarah Jane Case, which is more behind the scenes organization type stuff. And then I have a book called The Honest Enneagram and I have a relationships course coming out as we're speaking and is in mid-launch all about the Instagram and relationships. Oh, yay. And so do we find that online? Is that at your website? You can go to Instagram and find it and it's linked on enneagramandcoffee.com as well. Oh, perfect. How wonderful. Thank you for coming on today. I'm so happy to meet you. Then when we're back out in the world and if we're ever in the same town together, I would love to meet you in person and give you a big squeeze. Oh my gosh, I would love that. What a joy. As the weather heats up, Rothy's is here to brighten your day with comfortable, 
washable and sustainable products. You know, you guys, that I love Rothy's. Their shoes are incredibly comfortable. And thanks to their seamlessly knit design, there's zero break-in period. They have tons of styles to choose from, which make them the perfect pair of shoes for literally any adventure. Plus, Rothy's are fully machine washable, which feels important, especially in the summer. And now, to accompany your cute shoes, Rothy's offers super cute bags. Yay! As a company, Rothy's is incredible, by the way. They've kept over 50 million single-use plastic bottles out of landfills and transform them into their signature thread, which is what they use to knit into all these beautiful, sustainable products. I mean, come on. So check out all the amazing shoes and bags available right now at rothys.com slash for the love. I'll spell that. It's rothys, R-O-T-H-Y-S dot com slash for the love. Style and sustainability meet to create, I promise, your new favorites. So head to rothys.com slash for the love today. Okay, back to our show. And now, to reveal more of the mysteries inside an Enneagram 8's mind, here is Enneagram teacher Abby Robbins. Abby, delighted to welcome you to the For the Love podcast. Thank you for saying yes to this today. Well, yeah, thank you for asking me. It was a very exciting Twitter message to get. That happened really fast. Listen, Twitter can make fast friends out of people. And so I was just like, Right into a DM. All right. Perfect. Meet. <laughs> so fantastic. So I have filled in my listeners a little bit about who you are, but I wonder if you would be willing to talk a little bit more about you, your story, your life, your Enneagram work, because you're certified mm-hmm. as a teacher in the narrative tradition, which is not something we've talked about in this series yet. So can you talk about both what that means and kind of high level who you are, what your life looks like for the rest of us? Yeah, definitely. My name is Abby Robbins. I'm an Enneagram teacher and coach and a yoga therapist. I've been doing this work here in Austin, Texas for the last two and a half years. Oh my gosh, maybe it's three and a half now. Time goes fast. (laughs) Yeah, I live here in Austin, Texas with my fiance and our two daughters. And I was certified as an Enneagram teacher in the narrative tradition. And essentially the key components of the narrative Enneagram are that We learn the types from the types themselves. So Mm -hmm. their main focus of teaching is through the panel method. So getting a group of, you know, five Mm -hmm. or six or 10 of one type up on stage to, you know, share what it's like to be them. So like imagine Mm -hmm. what you're doing with this podcast, but instead of the, the kind of highly specific way that the type is showing up for one person, Mm -hmm. you get the ability to see how that type shows up kind of over a, a wide swath of mm. different kinds of people who've had different kinds of experiences. And so, you know, their approach is kind of intentionally intersectional. I mean, as mm. much as the Enneagram has been, which is really awesome. And yeah. through the panel method, you really get to see a lot of the nuance in each type, right? Sure. Like these types show up in a myriad of different ways. But you also really get to see, like, what are the fine threads that are tying these people together and how Mm. they see the world? I chose the narrative Enneagram for that reason, because the panel method is so powerful, but also because they have a really strong focus on the somatic parts, right? So like the body work, the energetic work that kind of goes into all of these type structure things. Like it's not just a head or a heart thing. It is also very much Mm. a body thing. I really appreciate the inclusion of the body piece that so often gets left behind, just left out entirely. (laughs) We just deal in mind and heart issues kind of leaving the body entirely out of the conversation, which doesn't really even make sense. No, I it doesn't. <laughs> so, we experience everything through our bodies and our bodies have so much to tell us about what we're responding to. And so I really love it. I love having the body piece integrated into this specific work. So you, you're an eight, mm-hmm. which is sometimes called the challenger. And some of the literature around an eight, of course, they're all reduced. If you have to put a phrase on any one given type, it's going to be reduced. But one of the phrases that gets attached sometimes to the eight is the need to be against. Now, to me, seems like that 
can be a really wonderful and important thing, especially right now, the injustices that we're fighting against yeah. in our world. Like, what an incredible <laughs> trait to have. So as you use particularly your strength as an eight to fight against injustice, unfairness, things that are wrong, things that keep people disenfranchised, how do you feel your particular work keeps you on the path of a healthy eight? Like, how do you stay kind of in that zip code of your type? Oh, goodness. (laughs) Well, this is a really great question. It's a hard question to answer because, I mean, quite honestly, I mean, not only as an eight, but as a queer and non-binary eight, I'm definitely not the most marginalized person in the room, you know, most days. But I have experienced a lot of of difficulty because of who I am, right? Mm -hmm. And it's difficult to find a way to, you know, stay on the quote-unquote path of a healthy eight when there is so much, I mean, legitimate threat to my life and well-being. You know, I live in Austin with my fiance and we're incredibly lucky to live in Austin, right? But like my family lives in Kansas City and if we want to go visit them, you know, over the holidays, like we have to drive through Oklahoma. So like we know what gas stations we can stop at, right? And which ones we can't. It's a difficult thing, right? Like, because I have to balance this very legitimate need to protect myself, right? Mm -hmm. And to protect my family from these sorts of things and to not be consumed by that to not be consumed by that drive. You know, this is why so much of my work in the Enneagram community is is about kind of this intersectional approach to the Enneagram. Right. Because for somebody who is straight, cisgendered, white, all of these kind of very central cultural experiences, right. what growth and staying on the path of being a healthy eight look like is very, very different, mm-hmm. right? And a lot of the kind of kitschy things you might throw at an eight, right? The like platitudes Mm. or whatever, they don't always fly Mm. with people with more marginalized identities. Mm, I'd love to hear you talk about that more. A big key word for the eight is trust, right? Learning to let go and to trust the people around you, to trust that you won't be betrayed. You know, just like I was saying about that, you know, driving through Oklahoma, it's hard to practice that trust. Sure when there is a very real and legitimate threat to your well-being. Like, it's one thing if, like, yeah, it's easy for a cis straight white dude to practice trusting other people because he's not actually in harm's way most often, Right. right? right? Like, culturally speaking, and, you know, every step you take away every step farther away you get from that kind of centralized identity becomes, Mm. it becomes harder and harder to practice that trust because so much more is on the line. And so I think for me personally, this question of like, how do I stay on the path of being a healthy eight? I have my own teacher and my own yoga therapist that I see, you know, like religiously every two weeks as much as I can now in this time. I mean, obviously we're in, COVID times right. and, and the lockdown and whatnot, like I'm really working to stay active in my communities and stay connected to people. So in, in my church community, in my Enneagram community, there's a thriving Enneagram community here in Austin. And, you know, even in my neighborhood, like I feel like that's one blessing of the the lockdown is we've really gotten to be good friends with our neighbors, like the people oh, who we're great. in proximity with. And so, you know, doing that and you know, really staying connected to my partner and doing as much as I can to stay committed to my own personal practice. I mean, these are the things that keep me on that path, right? And help to give me the discernment of like, when I need to like, you know, put the guard dogs away, right? And and when I can, you know, practice trusting people, you know, and when I need to have those pit bulls like front and center. (laughs) Sure. And that's the thing with a lot of, a lot of the Enneagram community in general, we talk about, we're trying to like overcome our types. We're trying to grow out of our types. And mm. the reality is our types are necessary. Right. They are very valid ways of moving through the world. Absolutely. We just don't want to be locked in, right? Yeah. Like we want to have the flexibility to do something else when something else is called for. Totally. Well, and the Enneagram gives us so many opportunities for growth like that. Just yeah. really 
your paths and I've gained so much clarity on possibilities for me in front of any given scenario. So I know what my instinct would choose. And sometimes that's the right thing. And sometimes that can be overcome when I want it to be, when I need it to be, when the situation calls for it to be. And again, I find the Enneagram so useful there because I'm able to say your gut instinct is saying this, but it's possible that this is just the way you see it. And there may be a different perspective. What is your eight energy? Where does it kind of come out with the dogs, as you mentioned, primarily (laughs) in your particular life? What does that look like when the people who know you best and love you most would be like, there's that eight? You know, it's been interesting. You mentioned earlier, like the need to be against. And I resonate with that to some extent. But for me, it's less a need to be against. But it's just I'm so for what I'm for. That I don't care if somebody else is not right. Like I'm, I'm happy to have difficult, you know, what most people would assume are difficult conversations. Totally, (laughs) you know. And I think that that like bring it on. Yeah, like I think that that comes out a lot for me personally, like in how I talk about things, right? How I'm kind of regularly relating to people. And we had a get together several months ago before the lockdown of the Enneagram community. And a woman had come up to me who was a two and she was referencing a workshop that we were in together. Like we both took back in October, I think it was quite a while ago. And she was like, I just, I want to talk to you about the fight we had at the (laughs) workshop in October. And I gave her the most blank stare. I was like, I have no idea what you're talking about. Like, and it it felt so surreal because it's one of those Uh things that like people joke about in the community, right? Like in the Enneagram literature, it's like, you know, eights have this way of like, you know, what, what's a fight to some people is just a lively conversation to an eight. Sure, absolutely. It just, it didn't register for me like at all. Like not, not like I had to be like, you have to explain this to me because I don't remember I, you know, I remember at that workshop, there was something where I felt like I felt real heated, but it didn't involve her like at all. And so I was like, you're going to have to explain this to me, you know? And then we both of course laughed because how Uh hilarious it was, right? right? That like the two was like, oh my God, we had this awful fight and I've been thinking about it for months. And she's like, I've actually really learned a lot from it and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, wow. (laughs) You're like, wow, I haven't thought about it one time since that day. (laughs) (laughs) I probably didn't think about it while it was happening. Uh, That's so great. That's actually just so helpful for the rest of us to hear who are not eights because some of us who overthink connection are, we can be convinced that even just a heated discussion or conflict or whatever tension even signals to us disconnection and it doesn't necessarily for you not oh, at yeah. all it, yeah not it's just just solving a problem well and I think even beyond that for me it actually does signify connection yes like, that's what my like, tell me like a friend of mine who's a seven her name her name's Kim and you know yeah. we had a really long kind of heated conversation and she kind of shared in the middle of it she's like you know I've felt really nervous to talk to you about these things because I don't want to put our friendship in jeopardy and yeah. and I was just like you know that that's not the case. And you know, we've been friends long enough that she's like, yeah, I know that like in my brain, but I'm having trouble really feeling yeah. it. And I was just like, you know, like we're good. We can, you know, have these difficult conversations and fight all day. Right. But we're not disconnected. We're not, yeah. we're not fighting about our actual relationship. Like we're, you know, we're talking about politics or, you know, the sure. current events, whatever. And so I think that that's something, you know, like where the eight really comes out is just in this, like the way that I approach people most often. I'm big, I'm loud, I'm often in your face and I don't really care, right? Yeah. Like right, I'm, it's it's that's so great to hear because one of my favorite aides is just like, no, 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 when we're in an intense moment, she's like, that to me signifies that you are engaged with me. Yeah. It is connection, it is not disconnection. One of the best gifts you can give to yourself is talking to someone. When you take the brave step to ask, can you help me find a path forward in this struggle? That's when you truly grow. If you are looking to take that brave step, BetterHelp Online Counseling is here for you. 
So with BetterHelp, you can connect with a licensed professional counselor in a safe and private online environment. You can start communicating with your counselor within 24 hours via text, chat, phone, video, and listen, if it's not a great fit, you can even change counselors at no additional cost. I want a life of goodness for you. And to help you get there, BetterHelp is offering all my listeners 10% off their first month. So get started today at betterhelp.com slash for the love. So one more time, that's betterhelp, like H-E-L-P, help.com slash for the love and get 10% off your first month today. All right, back to our show. So your partner, Danielle, is a four, mm-hmm. isn't that right? Yes, yes. I would love to hear what your relational dynamic is like, a four, eight, and where do those types really absolutely complement one another and work beautifully together? And then what are your growth points? What are the oh, pain points between a yeah. eight, four? <laughs> there always are some, right? Right, yeah, yes. always. You know, like you said, like the Enneagram has like offered us so much in terms of our relationship. And I, I mean, Danielle and I agree that like, without the insight that the Enneagram has offered us, we would not be together. Interesting. Just 100%. It has been so helpful. There are some places where like we are just an absolute perfect match. Like we both meet the world with a lot of intensity. We are, we are like very authentic people. Like Mm -hmm. we are people who value that about others because we're both focused or I don't know if it's focused or we both really enjoy and kind of thrive off of intensity like we don't scare each other that's good Mm. danielle is not afraid of me danielle's not intimidated by me which Mm. being an eight and being assigned female at birth like i have been told Mm. that i'm intimidating Mm. so many times in my life and i'm i'm sick of it at this point right like if you're intimidated by me i'm not gonna waste my time but, you know, Danielle's mm. not afraid of me. She doesn't back down from me. And I, I'm i not afraid of her. Like, I'm not afraid of the emotional intensity that she brings. Yes, exactly. And so I think in that regard, we can hold a lot of space for each other. Those are some of the things that I really appreciate about our relationship. She's often game for, you know, the intensity that I bring to things. Like, we, <laughs> we planted a, yeah. a Corona garden. We decided sure. in our front yard during lockdown that yep. we we're going to plant a garden. And of course, we're not just going to have like one garden bed. Of I spent not. a week. Yeah. I have like eight, eight by four foot and a half foot deep garden beds that we have like covered our entire yard with. Right. And she's just like, yeah, why not? Right. <laughs> that is very big time Enneagram three energy. You just applied right there. That's exactly <laughs> how I would have done it. Like, how can this be the biggest and the best? Huh? Right. So she's game. She's with it. Because you're right. And Agram fours are emotionally intense. Yeah. And the places where I feel like we, to be very honest, I feel like the places where we like have, as you said, growth opportunities. Yeah. I actually have a lot more to do with our subtype than they have ever done with our actual type. And so learning subtypes was super important for us. She's self-pres and I'm sexual or one-to-one. And Can you talk a little bit more about that? We've not explored that in great detail in this series. Yeah, I'll just give a very brief like rundown. You know, There are three basic instincts that every human has, the need to self-preserve, like the instinct to keep yourself, your home, right? All of these things safe and you know, around, like you want to survive. So that has to do with like survival, whether it's food, shelter, family, this sort of thing. And then there's the need to create, which is whether that's creating life through like sex in a you know, hetero relation um, or whether that's creating from an artistic space or a lot to do with connection and creativity in the sexual or one-to-one instinct. And then there's the social instinct. So this is the instinct that kind of tells us where we are in our community, in our group, in our yeah. herd, right? And you know, according to Enneagram wisdom, there's one of those instincts. We have all three, but there's one Mm -hmm. that we tend to hyper-focus on. And that affects how our type plays out in the world. And so again, that's super basic. There's so much to know and to read and to understand about subtypes. I would never claim to be the subtype expert, but I've used it enough in my own life that I feel confident talking about 
how Danielle and I relate from her subtype. So her subtype was what would you re- replay with? press yeah. Okay. Yeah. So she's focused on, you know, the security piece of, you know, making sure she always has enough money, making sure the house is in good order, sure. making sure that, you know, like we're all fed and clothed and right. Like, so very, you know, home body energy. She likes being at home. She really enjoys the lockdown. Like it's, it's been great for her where I'm sexual or one-to-one. And my focus is on like connection. Like, Got it. I want to be connected to you. I want to be creating a lot of energy around projects and mm. things that I'm doing, right? Like, you know, my spiritual path, like this all kind of falls into that sexual instinct. And, you know, the pain points that we have is like, you know, when things kind of hit the fan, my go-to, like the first thing that I want to secure is the relationship, right? That connection, that intensity yep. that you can have one-to-one with this kind of person. And the first thing that she wants to take care of is like the money, the house, are these things taken care of? And so, you know, we miss each other a lot in uh-huh. those yep. instances. She's like, you know, I can't connect to you because we have to deal with this issue. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, how could we possibly deal with this issue if we're not connected? Yeah. Yep. <laughs> and so again, like you know, the Enneagram has been so helpful, you know, like we, went into couples therapy and, you know, our therapist didn't have to do a whole lot because we would just talk Enneagram at each other for, you know, an hour at a time. We do that too. Right. And then just like write the therapist a check. (laughs) Thank you for listening to us. Uh, Yeah. Right. So, you know, like it's been really valuable to see like how supporting, like how I can support our connection and Daniel's ability to stay connected by being more focused on my career. Right. And have more money coming in and be more financially stable. Like that creates a safer space for Danielle to, you know, connect with me the way that I want her to. And mm-hmm. you know, Danielle's done a lot of work around like she knows that like if I'm not feeling connected with her, then I find it terribly difficult to do work, to yep. see clients or to, you know, like whatever it is that I'm doing. I just like I don't I don't have the energy for it. Like mm-hmm. I, I want to connect to this first. And so, you know creating space to, you know, connect with me in order to help me, you know, do the things that I want to do. It's really, it's been cool to see how we've both grown in these Mm. areas where we weren't as attuned before. Oh, I know. I just love it. The subtypes are a really interesting area to explore in Enneagram mm-hmm. work to just deepen our understanding of who we are and the people that we love and to see new relational possibilities in front of yeah. us. It is all possible. It really is. It's just, I feel like this work has armed me with so much compassion and understanding for the people that I love. Whereas perhaps before the Enneagram took a lot of deep roots in our lives, I just always thought, why don't you see this like I do? You know, yeah. why, <laughs> why are you like this? The way that I am understanding this scenario is obviously the right way. It's not true at all. And it's a compassionate tool, I think, mm-hmm. inside relationships for sure. I love hearing you describe the subtype work. That is, nobody else has really talked about that. Super useful. What would you say if somebody listening is in partnership or in marriage with an eight or their parenting one, maybe, or they work really closely with an eight and they find themselves in conflict with Mm -hmm. their eight. Mm -hmm. What would you suggest as a spokesman for your people? (laughs) How might Uh somebody engage in conflict with an eight to move the thing toward resolution quicker? What Mm -hmm. works for you? What do you need in that moment? The thing that I think surprises people the most about being in conflict with an eight is that the less you back down, the faster it's going to be over. It's so weird. It's so <laughs> right? You know, there's, there's very few things in this world that like upset me more than somebody who's not willing to stand their ground. Honestly, every eight is different. Every person is different, right? And obviously at different levels of ability to listen and to understand. But I think, you know, really assuming, assuming positive intent goes a long way with an eight, you know, just not backing down. Like if you really think that your way is better, show me. Hmm. If your way is better, fine, let's do the better thing. But you're going to have to like convince me first. And if you're not willing to stand up and to really say what you think or believe in these instances, then you've just proved to me that 
I have every right just to walk all over you. You don't actually believe anything that much. Mm. And again, this is what the type structure says. This is not actually true because I know there are plenty of people in the world who believe things very deeply and who are very conflict averse and have difficulty stepping into that space. Right. But, you know, as far as like speaking from the eight and what we do really well with is, you know, having somebody stand up to us because then we know that, that we're in connection. Then we know that this is worth fighting for, right? Mm -hmm. Being honest and upfront with your eight friends is going to go so far. It's totally, you know, so true. If you've got like resentment or, you know, things harbored from a long time ago, we feel it and Mm -hmm. we don't like it. Yes. And what you're telling me is that you don't actually care enough about the relationship to bring these things up. Wow. Right. And to talk these things out and and to actually engage in what's happening. And that's really what we're looking for, right? Mm -hmm. Is this engagement, this connection that's born of, you know, the conflict. I, I always think about like sparring, right? Yeah. You can't get much closer to a person than when you're sparring with them, right? Like when you're actually like fighting with them. I know not every type feels that way. <laughs> they don't. The nines but, withering. They're dying. They're like, no, yes. Oh, don't make me. Uh. Yeah. You know, but there is, I think for those of us who are learning the Enneagram, you know, it's our responsibility to be the ones who step outside of ourselves in order to make things change. Right. So like if you're listening to this and you're not an eight, but like you've been studying the Enneagram and you want to put this stuff to work in your life and you've got an eight friend or partner or boss or coworker, whatever it is, you know, it is up to you to make the first, you know, out of pattern move. Right. I like that because it's not the other person's responsibility. They haven't signed up for this journey. Right. Like we can't put that on them. And I feel like that's a lot of the conversation around eights is that like eights need to do this and eights need to do that to make everybody else comfortable. And it's like, okay, for me on this journey, yeah, I'm working on a lot of those things, but if there's an eight who hasn't signed up for this journey, they're not going to do that. It's not their responsibility. That's right. And it's actually a relief to hear you say that friction or tension, that high level of engagement it's not off-putting to you. That that actually, to yeah. me, is a relief. That helps me know that really I can be fully expressive with my eights in my life. That mm-hmm. that will not push them away from me. And I don't have to hide or pretend with them. That, to me, feels like great news. Wonderful yeah. news. And yeah. we want it. We crave it. Like, mm-hmm. if you're not doing that, we know it. And we don't feel close to you. Yeah. Wow. That's great. That's like, fantastic. Yeah. As someone running her own business, you know I'm always on the hunt for things that make my life easier. And you know what makes my life easier? Not going to the post office. Stamps.com has made hauling all my letters and packages and standing in line a thing of the past. Stamps.com allows you to print shipping labels at home or in your office for a cheaper price than going to the post office, so you save time and money. I know my team appreciates Stamps.com because we use it every single month for the Jen Hatmaker Book Club. It's amazing. Right now, my listeners get a special offer that includes a four-week trial plus free postage and a digital scale without any long-term commitment. So just go to stamps.com, click on the microphone at the top of the homepage, and type in for the love, okay? So that's stamps.com, and then enter for the love. Okay, back to our show. Okay, these are the last questions that we're asking everybody in the Enneagram series. And so you can just, you know, top your head here. So Obviously, we all love who we are. We don't want to be somebody else. But let's just say for a day, you could okay. choose to be a different Enneagram number. What, what would you reach for? I would definitely choose to be a three. Oh, um, you tell me oh, why. Yeah. No 100%. one ever picks that. No. Okay, here's the deal. Like, threes are often just as intense, right? Like, it's all the good things about being an eight. But so often, 
Like, I wish I had the sense of what people thought of me and like how I was coming across. And I wish I was able to like be flexible enough to be like able to (laughs) make things happen the way that threes do. Like a lot of the same intensity, but often you're a lot better at it than I am because you can, you can do those shifting things. That feels so difficult for me. Right. Like I don't have a sense of how I'm coming off across to other people. And that's why, you know, the things like, oh, you're intimidating or whatever, like those things, like they hurt, you know, they they come as a surprise to me because I have a very different kind of experience of myself. Like I, I am trying to be friendly and kind and considerate. Right. But I often do that with so much energy that it puts people off. It'd be nice to be able to read the room a little bit better. <laughs> oh, what a charitable reading of a three. That was nice. <laughs> That's great. Okay, how about the opposite of that? Which part of your personality do you love the most? Ooh, there's it's I, I mean, so wonderful. They're so great in the world. I love yeah, the eights in my life so much. I really like being an eight. You know, yeah. like I, you know, I say, yeah, I would definitely choose choose to be a three for a day, but. I would definitely want to come back to being an eight. Yeah, um, good. There are a lot of things that I really like about it. I mean, I like that I'm, for the most part, very practical. Like the yep. work that I do in the world is very, it's accessible because it's right here, right now. You know, it's like, let's put boots on the ground. I like that I'm protective, you know, and I feel like my, you know, my fiance and my family like really benefit from that. And I enjoy doing that like that feels like a a service in the world that i do really well at and i like you know i like being intense and i like me too right like i like being myself to the fullest possible extent even years before i knew the enneagram i always had this sense that like if i just go real hard then then everyone else will know it's okay to go hard too Right, Like they can be themselves. Like if I'm unabashedly myself, then other people can do it too. And I can, I can, you know, lead by example in that way. And, you know, and and I appreciate that. Like, I appreciate that question because it's get a real bad rap, right? Mm. Like, and the truth is like, I like being an eight. I like who I am. And obviously there are a lot of pieces that need some work. Right. That, like, but that's all of us. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I'm not here to like pathologize mm-hmm. my personality. I'm going to celebrate the pieces of myself that I feel like need celebrating. And I'm going to work on the places that need work. I love that. I think your assessment of yourself is spot on. I feel incredibly safe with the eights in my life. They give mm-hmm. me a sense of safety in more than one way. The eights are a harbor for the people in their lives. And it's just a wonderful trait. And I love the eight energy. Every eight in my life is precious to me. Here's the last question. We ask everybody this question actually in in all the series. It's from Barbara Brown Taylor, who we love here. Mm -hmm. Please answer this however you want. Like this can be a really earnest answer or it can just be like ridiculous. It's just completely up to you. (laughs) So here it is. What's saving your life right now? I mean, honestly, Danielle is saving my life quite a bit. Our kids are saving my life quite a bit. Gardening, the simplicity of like going outside and like watering plants and watching things grow and getting to do that with Danielle and our kids. Yeah. And I I feel like it's, I mean, it's so important right now because it's hard to put a finger on what it is that's saving my life when I feel like I need so much saving. Mm, Just, you know, this time is hard. Um, you know, like I have a great community of friends, right? Like, and wonderful people like Stout House Coffee Company is saving my life literally Mm. every day. That's a great list. It has to be a list because I need too much saving for one thing. (laughs) You're so right. You're so right. The question is rigged right now. Okay. I'm so delighted that you came on today. You just spoke so candidly about AIDS. That helps me understand. You said several things I hadn't really heard before. So incredibly useful. So can you, would you mind telling everybody before we sign off here where they can find you because you're doing such interesting work in the world. And I would love for my community to be listening to you and following you and experiencing your work. Yeah. So you can find all of my stuff at consciousenneagram.com. So C-O-N-S-C-I-O-U-S. 
Enneagram.com. I always say that was the worst branding mistake ever, choosing two words that people can't spell very often. Totally true. (laughs) You're so right. And that's where you can find most of the things. Conscious Enneagram on Instagram. I'm usually pretty active over there and on Twitter and Facebook and, and YouTube. And if people listening are interested in the Enneagram and also happen to have a queer identity, I run the Queer Enneagram Facebook group, which is actually growing pretty large. This is cool. I'm excited about it. We talk about, you know, kind of this intersectionality of the Enneagram in this piece. And there's more kind of coming in the next years when I can get the rest of my life together. (laughs) Mm, I love (laughs) hearing that. Yeah. And then I have a, a book coming out in April. The Conscious Enneagram will be out on April 27th of 2021, but available for pre-order in July at some point. So that's really exciting. The website's really the easiest way to find everything. Those are the highlights for sure. That is exciting. Congratulations on all. Thank Uh, you. Big, big things in your next calendar year. Fantastic. I am grateful for your work and how you specifically run along the fault lines of intersectionality. I think that's really important and a lot of fresh frontier, um, new soil to churn up specifically inside this conversation. So good for you for being a pioneer. And I'm really happy to hear (laughs) that that community is growing and finding traction with one another and kind of in the greater conversation. And so hooray for that. I'm just delighted to meet you. And now we're friends and we live in Austin. And back when, now when the world opens back up someday, Texas is a mess right now, yeah. but we will, <laughs> might be a we while. will go to your coffee place. We will, yes. we will patron the coffee place. We will thank them for saving your life and it'll be coffee on me. Oh, all right. That sounds good. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> thank you, Abby. Yeah. Thank you so much, Jen. I appreciate it. And now... To tell us more about the music you've been listening to in this episode, we hear from composer Ryan O'Neill, a.k.a. Sleeping at Last, about the inspiration behind this piece. I have a lot of amazing type eights in my life. Uh, They actually somehow make up the majority of my friends, oddly enough. So that fact, along with the not so hidden direct and outspoken qualities about the type eight, I was really, really nervous about writing this one. I knew right away that the eights get the the short end of the stick in in a lot of conversations about the Enneagram. It's so easy to focus on, on the intensity, but there's so much more there. And I really wanted to write a song that could capture the the nuance and the beautiful vulnerability uh, of the type eight. To lean into this direction, I was actually going to write it as uh, the most intimate and sparse song in this collection. But the more I thought about it and the more I, I read about the type eights, a quote from Beatrice Chestnut made a lot of sense to me. And she said that the type eight superpower is actually superpower. And I knew that the instrumentation then needed to be strong and, and actually sound powerful. So even the key, I chose to record the song at the very tippy top of my vocal range. So uh, recording it was was intense, and uh, honestly, in my vocal takes, I, I nearly passed out because <laughs> I was borderline yelling these lyrics. And I also wanted the lyrics to include a lot of verbs because I feel like type eights are sort of the the people version of verbs. So in my research, I had a lot of conversations with different type eights, and I noticed some some commonality. They referenced like a moment in their life where they sort of felt like something shifted, almost like they had enough. And so that's where I started the lyrics of the song. And as their story continues throughout the song, the armor slowly comes off, and they offer up this incredibly sweet childhood vulnerability that is such a gift. And that letting go transforms the armor into justice and transforms the type eights into these powerful figures you're standing up for others that can't. So the song softens in moments of vulnerability, but ends with this strength and power again, but channeled into protection of others. So my hope for this song is to underscore the sensitivity of the type eight, the strengths and the vulnerabilities. And I just really hope it honors these incredibly powerful people. I want to thank both my guests today for being amazing. 
Thank you for bringing your expertise to bear on this conversation. Thank you for your incredible energy in the world and all you have offered us and continue to offer us. I sure do love an eight. So I hope that was useful to our eights listening and everybody who loves an eight. And that means that we have one more episode in the series and we will move finally next week to our Enneagram nines, the absolutely beloved nines who have been very, very funny on all my social media accounts as we've been posting these episodes weekly one at a time. And they're like, well, the nines are last, but don't worry about it. We're fine. We're fine. We're not going to complain. Everything's fine. (laughs) Which if you don't know what a nine means, you'll find out next week. It's just very on brand for a nine. And so as mentioned, as teased out, Next week, I talk all things nine with one of the greatest ones I know. Delighted to welcome back to the podcast, my dear, dear, dear friend, Sarah Bessie. And she is so well-versed in the Enneagram. And she was teaching about, she was teaching me about it long before I understood it. And so she just has, you'll love it. You'll love her episode. It's just that simple. You'll love it. Everybody come back next week for our final episode in the series. Okay, you guys, thank you for um, sharing these so much. You've been sharing these episodes just a billion times. And so tag your friends who you think would love to hear each one. Post it on your socials. We love it. Make sure you're subscribing too. So my episodes can come right to your ears. You don't even have to work for them. Okay, you guys, love it. Till next time. 